Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. Next, in our mind reading guide, is channeling your intuition. So this is where we talk a little bit about what to uh, talk to users about. The actual questions that you ask or write are obviously totally dependent on your, your topic, uh, your, your area of research, and what you're trying to know. Um, but there are certain things that um, you want to ultimately learn and be able to answer in the light of your um, company or your project. So again, good products solve problems. We're not necessarily trying to be user-driven and get people to tell us what they want. We want to be user-informed. We want to understand their life and understand their problems so we can build the solution. So here are some really great guiding questions that can help when you are preparing your, um, your questions or your topics to talk to users about. And a really great tool that I like to use to help me when I'm writing my questions is an empathy map canvas. Now, a lot of you may have seen this, but if you think about it, when you're writing your questions and having your conversations, keep this in mind with the goal of, at the end, being able to fill this out in the context of your users and your product. So again, it's an empathy map canvas. Um, can share a resource later. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. DIY guide to user research. So I'm currently a product director at Tinder, leading our location products team. Previously, as mentioned, I was working at American Express on the consumer website. So the first question that I normally get when I tell people I'm a product manager is, can you get me more Tinder matches? <laughs> the second question I get is, how did you become a product manager? So I'll give you a little bit about my background. I actually started off in digital marketing where I learned a lot about uh, communicating with customers. But being on the digital team, I worked a lot with our uh, design and engineering counterparts to build websites for customers. I decided I was really interested and really drawn to the tech side, so ended up going back to school to study front-end engineering and UX design. And through that, I realized that I actually like building things more than I like selling them. So I decided to make the transition to product management, but the foundations that I learned working in the communications industry were really applicable. I learned that understanding your customers is key, and the more you understand them, the more successful you'll be as a product manager. So today I'm going to talk to you about a DIY guide to how to understand your customers through user research. So first, let's start off with a principle. You hear a lot of product managers say that they're user-driven. But when I hear this phrase, I imagine a 
roadmap that's full of requests from, uh, from users saying, hey, can you build me this thing? I'd like this button over here. That may work if you're in a B2B atmosphere, but coming from a consumer background, that's not really the case. Uh, this is exemplified by this very dramatic looking quote uh, from Henry Ford. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. So our job as product managers is not to be user-driven and is not to go around asking people what they want, but rather to be user-informed. The more we can understand the challenges and the problems that users face, the better off we'll be and the more successful we'll be as product managers because a core tenant is that good products solve problems. So before we get into a DIY guide, let's talk a little bit about formal user research. A lot of companies, especially bigger companies, more established companies, have um, either budgets to do formal user research where they hire um, research agencies or uh, partners to conduct these amazing studies, or some companies even have a fully dedicated team in-house to do user research experience, or sorry, user experience research. And there's a lot of pros to this. It's scientific meaning um, you're going to be talking to people in a controlled environment. It's non-biased uh, or unbiased, which is a really, really important uh, point that we're going to be talking about throughout uh, the rest of the presentation. The moderator or the researcher that you're going to be working on uh, probably isn't quite as passionate about your users or your problems as you are, and so they're able to ask um, questions in a more objective manner. Next, it's observable, meaning that someone else is doing uh, the work. So you get to sit back and just listen and watch as opposed to being uh, in the moment. Um, and last, it's recorded and reported. So there is high quality sound clips and video that you can refer back to. There's someone else who's going to write a really thorough research report, um, which takes a lot of pressure off of you. So if you have the, the resources, um, it's a really great option for you. But there's also some drawbacks. It's expensive. A formal user research, at least working with an agency or a, a research company, can cost tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's time consuming because you have to onboard a team, explain to them what your goals are, what your project is, uh, wait for the participants to be recruited, which can take weeks, um, run the actual study. And so at the end of the day, you could be looking at a month or two before you really gain the insights you're looking for. And at fast-paced uh, smaller companies or startups, you probably don't have that time to wait. And then last, and this is another important part, selection bias. So again, I'll talk a lot about bias throughout this discussion, but a participant who gets called up by a research agency and is willing to spend two hours during a weekday to come and do a user interview uh, for the reward of an Amazon gift card, um, really ask yourself if that is your target customer. If it is, that's great, but keep that in mind that it might not be. So again, there are great, great, great benefits to working at a company that has uh, resources to do formal user research, but what if you don't? What if you're trying to start your own company? What if you're working at a company that doesn't really um, have a user research practice or maybe doesn't really believe in it? Or maybe you just want to be a Renaissance PM and understand how to do it yourself if you want to. So all you have to do is learn how to read minds. 
Now I know what you're thinking, but I'm not telepathic. Or what you're really thinking is probably I can't believe I paid money to hear this. But I promise you, with a few easy steps, you will learn how to read minds to become user-informed. Before we get started on the uh, telepathic step, there's one thing that we really need to keep in mind as we're preparing to do our, our mind reading to talk to users. And it's not that. It's bias. So bias is a huge drawback of um, DIY user research. We are human, and we are product managers, and we are inherently passionate and excited about what we're working on. And it's easy to let all of our emotions seep into our research and really jade it. So here's the best way to handle that. The first is acknowledge there will be bias. Regardless of, of how objective you think you're being, there will be bias. The second is understand what kind of biases to watch out for, and that's something that I'll talk through. And then the third is just be cognizant, know, what, know there will be bias, know what to watch out for, and as you're doing your research, try as hard as possible to mitigate um, for these biases. Actually, the very notion of this is called design bias, where researchers fail to account for bias in their study. So you're already a step uh, ahead of the game. Okay, so let's get telepathic. The first thing is captivating your subjects. Hardest part of doing user research is trying to figure out how to find people to talk to, right? They're not just being recruited for you. You have to go and find people. Um, so my advice and the way that I do this is figure out where your target customers uh, spend their time. And then with a little bit of confidence and a little bit of incentive, go up to people and ask if you can chat with them for a few minutes. Two things that are really, really helpful in these kind of scary situations. Number one, people are generally nice. Uh, and if you express uh, interest in them and are, and are genuine, they're usually happy to share their time with you. Um, and number two, people love talking about themselves, everyone. Everyone loves talking about themselves if you give them uh, a stage. So um, some examples of where to go. Make sure that um, where you go to choose your, your target audience resonates with the, the product or the problems that you're trying to solve. So for example, if you're building a product for pet owners, go to a dog park and bring dog treats. If you're trying to solve a problem for um, senior citizens, go to a retirement home, bring some Scrabble. And if you're trying to launch a makeup line, go to Sephora and uh, subtly ask people about their favorite moisturizers until you get kicked out by employees, definitely not speaking from personal experience. Um, <laughs> so it's really important to understand where your customers hang out and where you can find them and go speak to them. So I'll give you an example of how I did this at Tinder. Uh, about a year ago, we decided to do an ethnographic study in Brazil. So uh, had a little bit of, of resources and budget, but not a whole lot. So I decided to do it myself. I had a friend who lived in Brazil and spoke Portuguese. And so I promised him free food and beer for a weekend if he would come uh, hang out with me and my group and help us out. 
So we wanted to understand single life and culture in Brazil. So one day we went to the mall and we went to some trendy clothing boutiques and we asked the uh, girls who work there, hey, can we buy you a cup of coffee after your shift and talk to you for 15 minutes? We also went to the beach and we brought a bunch of Tinder t-shirts and we went up to groups of people and said, hey, want a t-shirt? All you have to do is talk about uh, what being single in Brazil is like. And I'll give you a little example of what this looked like if this video will play. If anyone knows how to make that happen. We're trying. If not, it's okay. So it's a little hard to hear, probably because it's Portuguese, but this is an actual clip that I took on my cell phone of going to a mall at Starbucks with a friend who spoke Portuguese and asking people about their lives. So it is possible. Now, we didn't just go into these conversations willy-nilly. Um, we had an idea of the type of thing that we, we wanted to learn. And I'll talk about um, what the types of questions that you want to ask users in a minute. But first, let's talk about how to ask questions. So now it won't work. It stopped. Um, but while this is loading, so again, we're going to go back to the concept of bias and when we decide how we talk to users. So the first is selection bias, there we go, um, which we talked a little bit about as a drawback in formal user research. But with selection bias, make sure that the people who you are choosing to speak to are representative of your target audience. So for example, if we went to Brazil and only spoke to people who spoke English, that's not representative of our target audience, right? That's a subset of people who are bilingual and educated in English, um, which you know, definitely isn't scalable. Um, similarly, when you think about where to go to find people, make sure that it is where your target audience hangs out. So if we had wanted to understand the lives of young working professionals going to beat the beach at noon on a Tuesday wasn't going to give us the right, uh, the right sample size. So make sure you're selecting the right people to speak to who are representative of what you want to learn. The second is procedural bias. And this is a really simple concept. Um, if people feel rushed when talking to you, you're not going to get great results from your study. So make sure that you're talking to people when you have time, but more importantly, when they have time. The next, and this is, this is the hardest one for me personally, the next one is interviewer bias. Um, again, we are human and we are passionate about the products that we are trying to build. And when you are talking to people, you have to be really, really cognizant of letting that bias and those emotions seep into the way you're talking to people. So, for example, leading the witness is a great way of putting it. When you're trying to uh, drive the conversation in a certain way or get a person to kind of you know, co coerce, coerce them into... Uh, giving you an answer that you're you're looking to hear that will prove um, your your thesis or hypothesis of your research. 
And then the last is measurement bias. So this means people will do a lot to be seen as socially acceptable. Um, people tend to not want to be controversial or say things that are embarrassing. This is really hard for those of us who work at Tinder where your dating life is inherently embarrassing. So the way to, to deal with this is to make sure that you're being um, very open and creating a, a safe space where, where people can be um, honest with you and try not to be intimidating. Okay, so the next step is to clear your mind. In order to be an effective researcher, you have to get rid of all of your preconceived notions about your target audience. Now, these are some truth pills right here. And these are hard to swallow because as product managers, it is our job to truly know our customers and to truly be able to um, explain everything about their lives. But we have to know that we don't. And so I think the best way to deal with these truth pills is to keep a growth mindset, right? You are indeed the expert about your customers because you are the most invested. You are the person on earth who is the most knowledgeable and constantly gaining information about these users, but you are always learning and you are always open to new information. I'll give you an example of how I did this at Tinder. This was a very uh, scientifically designed study that is uh, explained here. Um, so one of our target audiences is um, college kids. It's been a little while since I was part of that demographic, and so I decided that I wanted to uh, get a refresher on what life in college is like and what dating in college is like. So... I asked one of our interns, who's a UCLA student, and she rounded up 30 sorority sisters who um, joined us for a night of manicures and sweet green and Georgetown cupcakes um, and hanging out and chatting uh, with friends. So I learned so much about what kids these days are doing um, that I never would have known. I had so many assumptions going in, and I, I really learned so much about how they're using apps, how they're meeting people, how they're dating, and it's, it's really different. And if I hadn't had that open mindset and really cleared my mind of those um, preconceived notions, I would have really failed in driving my product roadmap. Next, in our mind reading guide, is channeling your intuition. So this is where we talk a little bit about what to uh, talk to users about. The actual questions that you ask or write are obviously totally dependent on your, your topic, uh, your, your area of research, and what you're trying to know. Um, but there are certain things that um, you want to ultimately learn and be able to answer in the light of your um, company or your project. So again, good products solve problems. We're not necessarily trying to be user-driven and get people to tell us what they want. We want to be user-informed. We want to understand their life and understand their problems so we can build the solution. So here are some really great guiding questions that can help when you are preparing your, um, your questions or your topics to talk to users about. And a really great tool that I like to use to help me when I'm writing my questions is an empathy map canvas. Now, a lot of you may have seen this, but if you think about it, when you're 
writing your questions and having your conversations, keep this in mind with the goal of at the end, being able to fill this out in the context of your users and your product. So again, it's an empathy map canvas, um, can share a resource later. So I'll give you an example of how I did this at Tinder. About six months ago, my team and I went to Sydney to launch a product. And while we were there, we wanted to take advantage of being on the ground and do some user research. We wanted to, similar to Brazil, we wanted to do more of an ethnographic study. We wanted to really understand uh, what single life was like in one of our uh, big markets that we had never been to. Um, so to account for both selection bias and measurement bias, we decided it probably wasn't the best thing to do to set up a formal research lab um, and bring people into this kind of clinical scientific environment and ask them about their dating lives. You probably weren't going to get the most like honest, realistic answers from them in this situation. So what we did was we sent a notification to all of our users, inviting them to a bar on Friday night. And the group of us put on Tinder shirts and some glow, glow-in-the-dark flower crowns to stand out. And we opened a bar tab. And we said, hey, if you, if you come talk to us for a while about your, your dating life and um, how you use Tinder and how you use dating apps and um, how you meet people, how you meet friends, what you do when you go out with your friends, all sorts of stuff about your life, we'll buy you a beer. And so for the price of about 100 beers, uh, we were able to get really, really interesting and organic feedback from users that was in a setting where people were kind of having fun, they're a little bit laid back, um, and they were willing to, uh, to talk to us. And it was cool to see the, um, the interpersonal dynamics between friends who are all out together in a group, and one person would say one thing, and then another person would be like, no, like you're totally wrong. And seeing that dynamic was actually really interesting for us. So the last step is to meditate on what you've learned. After you have conducted your research, so you've, you've found your users at the places where they go, um, you've done you know, really great interviews, you've uh, figured out how to talk to them and what to talk to them about, and now you're ready to meditate. So as you're meditating, what you're doing is you're coalescing all the information that you've learned, and you're probably writing a report or some sort of um, synthesis to share out with your team and other stakeholders. Back to the concept of bias, there are two very important things to remember here. The first is confirmation bias. You're looking back at your notes, you're looking back at your uh, videos and audio clips, uh, and oh my goodness, you learned everything that you would hope to hear. Congratulations. Um, if this is the case, either you truly are telepathic or you let a little bias seep into your study. Um, so try to be as objective as possible, both while you're doing the study um, thinking about the types of notes that you're, you're writing down, that they aren't all just positive, um, and that you're really, you know, you're going to benefit more from the negative feedback that you hear, whether it's about your industry or your problem or proving an assumption wrong, than you will about um, hearing confirmation. So watch out for this one. Um, and then the next thing, and this is actually kind of sneakily um, really dangerous, and that's reporting bias. Now, 
Reporting bias is sending what I would call the rainbows and butterflies write-up, which is you um, share out with your team of executives and stakeholders and whatnot that the study was a smashing success and all of these great things came out of it and, you know, full steam ahead. The problem with this is that if you're not honest and you don't share both the positive and negative, your report and your findings are going to be interpreted as kind of bogus, right? If everything is great, no one's going to believe that. And it'll probably undermine what you're really trying to accomplish. So whether you're, whether you're trying to sell your team or your stakeholders on um, an idea that maybe you know, isn't super popular and you're trying to prove it, um, again, you're going to be really passionate about it. But remember to be as objective as possible. So, ta-da. You have found users to speak to who represent your target audience. You have spoken to them uh, in an objective way and not uh, uh, guided their answers in any way, been super objective. You've made sure that when you were talking to people, they were comfortable um, and felt that they were able to be open in talking to you, that you weren't judging, um, they weren't, you know, they were okay if they were sharing some answers that maybe were a bit embarrassing. You cleared your mind of assumptions, and you really went in to talking to people with an open mind and an open heart. You asked people questions about their lives, not just about the specific thing that you were trying to learn to get them to give you answers about what to build, but to really uncover what their problems were and what their lives are like from a 360-degree lens. So you are um, an extremely empathetic product manager. You've written an objective report, um, knowing that you are both human and deeply passionate about the work that you do. And so you've kept that in mind and mitigated for all of the types of biases that are possible to seep in um, and jade your, your findings and your project. So congratulations. You now have a do-it-yourself guide to how to become user-informed and build products that solve problems for your customers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.